This is the new way we work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. When you're looking for a new job, there's a lot to figure out. What information should you include on your resume and what do you need to trim? Is a cover letter really necessary? What are the best answers to some of the most common interview questions? Do you really need to send a thank you note? Today's special bonus episode is an edited version of my recent LinkedIn audio conversation with Fast Company contributor and author of the new book, The Job Seeker Script, Judith Humphrey. Take a listen for everything you need to know to land your dream job. Judah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Yes, you're our first, I was saying earlier, you're our first official non-Fast Company staff member on a uh, LinkedIn audio, but you're certainly part of the, the Fast Company family. In fact, if you're listening to this, chances are you've probably read some of Judah's Fast Company articles. She has written some of our most popular career articles, uh, so much so that she took some of the advice that she's given to our readers over the last five plus years and turned it into a book, The Job Seeker's Script, her, her new book that is out now. And today she's going to walk us through exactly what to say in all aspects of your job hunt, from your resume to your cover letter to your interview to your thank you note. And we have a deep archive of articles that we'll be dropping into the comments as we talk. And if you have anything that you'd like to add or a question, you drop that in the comments as well and we'll get to that and we'll add that in. Now I would be remiss, obviously, if I didn't uh, plug some things of our own. So we have a new uh, newsletter called Work Smarter, which is a curated collection of some of our most popular um, work-life articles around different topics. So the one uh, comes out on Sundays mornings once a week. To subscribe, just go to fastcompany.com slash section slash work hyphen smarter or fastcompany.com slash newsletters. We're dropping that link into and you'll get a curated selection of articles around different topics like, you know, exactly like some of the things you're hearing today, old stuff, new stuff, uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, also, we always get this question a lot. Uh, these conversations, unfortunately, cannot be recorded on LinkedIn. So if you miss anything that we're saying, you come in late, you have to leave early, or we're just throwing too much information <laughs> at you and you can't write it down fast enough, don't worry, we are recording on our end and we're going to turn this into a bonus episode of our podcast called The New Way We Work, which you can subscribe to anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, and we're going to turn this into a bonus episode at some point during the summer. Also, it's just a great podcast to subscribe to if you like anything about work. Basically, if you have a job, you should listen to this podcast. I'm a little biased, obviously. but So that's all of all of the housekeeping stuff. Let's get into it. So we did a couple of polls on LinkedIn leading up to this event. And one of the, the most popular ones was what do you hate most about the job hunt process? And uh, number one coming in was writing cover letters. 53% of people said they hated writing cover letters. Also next up was getting tripped up in an interview. And then lower than that was, you know, follow-ups and kind of other things. But there's a lot about job hunts that people don't like. So let's get into that. And that cover letters we'll definitely get to. But Judith, congrats on your book. Um, as, I, as I wrote in the blurb for your book, thank you so much for asking me to write a blurb for the book. Um, this is the book that I wish I would have had when I was looking for a job. 
as with your Fast Company articles, you really break down exactly what job seekers need to say in each step of the job hunt process. Before we get into all of that, let's start with what job seekers should do when they're kind of preparing for the job hunt. Well, of course, the starting point is to be focused. You know, I think that the job market is so complex and so uninspiring for so many people that they give up on trying to get the ideal job. But I think the the answer to that situation is to really focus, focus on what you want and go for it. You know, when you think about it, the job seeker is a storyteller. You know, I said, tell you the story and land the dream job. Storyteller in the sense that you want to have a narrative in your mind. You want to know where you're going. Because if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there. So the, the starting point is really to focus your search. You know, ask yourself, am I willing to spend time to get the right job? Because apparently... People will not spend more than 15 minutes on a job search if it's going to take them 20, 30, 40 minutes an hour. But really, that doesn't work for anybody. So you really want to focus your search. You want to ask yourself, am I willing to spend the time to prepare properly? What are my skills and interests? Uh, Do I want a new direction or do I want to stay on course? What kind of culture do I want to work in? What size company? And will I be able to succeed there? So there are so many questions you want to ask yourself to start out with in order to have a very focused search. That's such a great point. And I think some of our responses in that poll were saying kind of that, right? Like, oh, I don't I don't want to waste my time with the, you know, a customized cover letter because I'm applying for, you know, I'm not going to spend longer than 15 minutes. And you made the point, and this is something I did early in my career that I'm embarrassed that I did, but you're like, you don't want to waste everybody's time by randomly sending out 200 resumes. And that I think that's a, a rookie, like easy mistake a lot of people make, right? Like I'm just going to fire hose, blast everybody with my resume, numbers game, and like I'm bound to get something, right? But it, it, that's a great point. If you really want to get a job, you really should be very thoughtful about applying. Absolutely. And that thoughtfulness is going to resonate with everybody you encounter along the way. If you don't really know where you're going, then people are going to pick up on that and they're not going to want you to be part of their organization or they're not going to be a good networking contact for you. So your focus is going to give people the confidence that you know what you want and you write for that role. Exactly. And and that's a good point too. You're making a first impression and and even if, you know, the job doesn't pan out, you know, maybe as you say that could be a networking contact down the road. Um, So, you know, in your book, you show readers how to kind of create that strong, convincing narratives about themselves, because I think that is so important. That's where a lot of people are like, oh, how do I talk about myself in a really compelling way? How do you do that? How do you can uh, make that narrative about yourself? Well, it's really important, actually, to think through what you're going to say in any conversation, whether it's with a networking contact or an interviewer. Or, or even on a written document, a resume or a cover letter, you want to think through what you're saying and how you can be as persuasive as possible. And so what I developed for this book was something called the HIRE template, H-I-R-E. It's a four-part structure you can use for all of your communications in the job search, both the written and the oral ones. And H stands for hook, so you want to connect with your audience. I stands for an inspiring message. You always want a key message in any communication. 
R stands for reinforce. You reinforce that message with proof points. And then E stands for engage. So at the end of any conversation or any written document, you want to talk about next steps. And so that higher template infuses the entire book with a sense of structure and purpose and and persuasive power. And I think it's really a great, valuable tool for any job seeker. You come back to that in your book in kind of each chapter, and we'll we'll come back to that in this discussion too, kind of uh, the way to use that higher template for your resume, for your cover letter, even when you're talking about yourself in the interview for your thank you note. I think it's a, it's a really, the word template is something that really hooks our audience a lot. I think people really just kind of want to know what kind of steps to follow. And I think that, that having that is really, really useful. It's a way of preparing for any conversation or any written document. So I think one of the problems job seekers have is that they go into interviews or they go into even a written document and they're not sure what to say. Mm-hmm. And so they're umming and awing if they're in an oral situation or just throwing content into the document. If it's a written document, there's no sense of argument. I mean, my my real focus in this book is on how do you make the strongest case for yourself as a job seeker? So this template does that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a, a, like lack of knowing what to say <laughs> ends up with you're just like, I'm just going to throw some jargon and buzzwords at you and hope I sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let's get into the first and one of the most important parts of the job hunt process that we've written 20 billion articles about the resume. So this is, of course, like a really big topic. I believe we've even done a LinkedIn audio just about resumes. We could talk about resumes forever and ever and ever. (laughs) Um, But let's just kind of go through the overview of what sections a good resume includes and then what should go in each of those sections. Yeah, this is the key to the kingdom, the resume, because your resume will be reviewed. It will be looked at and it will be a make or break for you. I mean, everything else is really the frosting on the cake, but the resume is a central document. And what I emphasize in the book is that the resume has to be a set of arguments. And indeed, the whole book focuses on a sense of how to present your best possible case. So a resume is not a content dump. So often resumes are just content dumps. Uh, a lot of words, complicated sentences, and without clarity of thought. You want the resume to be a set of actually interlocking arguments. And, and I'll show you in a six-step process how to construct a resume. Step one, of course, is to provide the contact information that comes at the top of the resume. You put your name in bold, large type, 18 to 24 type. You put your phone number, your personal phone number, not your work number, your address, your LinkedIn address, a website if you have one, and a portfolio if you have one. So so critical information goes at the top. That's step one. Step two is to create your summary statement. Now, the summary statement is like your thesis. What one idea do you want to get across about yourself that's going to land you that job? And of course, if you don't know where you're going, I mean, if you're not focused in your search, If you're applying for everything, it's very hard to come up with a summary statement. But if you know where you're going and you know what you want in that next role, then the summary statement would align with that. And it should be one sentence only. 
And it should not be an objective. You know, nobody cares what your objective is. They want to know what you can do for them. So I just want to underline that in bold face type, because that's one of my pet peeves is I, I always remember somebody saying your objective is to get the job. The objective statement is like this is the is the most useless thing. So I think that's yeah, that's really important to think of it as a as a and you said use active verbs. Think of it as a summary of what you want, not like your objective is to get the job. Obviously. Exactly. You definitely want active verbs. No, I'll give you an example of a summary statement. Say, a senior level manager with 15 years of experience overseeing information security in two financial firms. Or you can even have a summary statement that actually shows what you've accomplished. So, a senior cybersecurity manager who has put in place much admired programs that fully protected two financial firms from ransomware attacks. The point is, that's a very technical job that the person is applying for, given that he's a cybersecurity manager. Mm-hmm. But what you need to do is hone in on what you think your greatest strength is in the context of the job you're applying for. In just one sentence, it's your thesis. Yeah, it's your too long, didn't read statement. It's your ex- executive summary. I can't be bothered to like, if the person does not read your whole resume, what do you want them to walk away with? Exactly. Yeah. You don't want multiple sentences or complicated sentences. You want to keep it very simple. Read it out loud. If you can't read it as conversationally as you want to, then it's the sentences are too long or there's too much clutter. So keep it very simple. The ATS likes simple sentences. So step That's step two. Step three, create a message for each job you've held. One strong sentence is enough. Don't, don't again, overload it. But one sentence for each job. Use active verbs for each job you've held. So, for example, I lead a team of art directors and freelancers in the development and delivery of award-winning campaigns. That would be a sort of job description of the current job that that job seeker has. Simple, clear, unencumbered language. So once you've got a message for each job that you've held, then you want to create a set of bullet points under each job. That would be step four. Now, the bullet points are really important because they show what you've accomplished. You want them to all begin with strong verbs. So words like led, I led, built, earned, exceeded, gained, sold. You get it. So these are all strong verbs that should align, meaning you use verbs for all the sub-bullets. And so I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody who's an artistic director or, or creative. He might say, hire two creatives, one copywriter and a filmmaker, provided creative direction for two campaigns, one a webby, as well as accolades from clients, brought in three major accounts, You can hear the rhythm of that, and that shows that you've really accomplished something in the job. So step four is to create a set of bullet points for each of your jobs. You want maybe three bullet points for the recent jobs and two bullet points for the earlier jobs in your career. 
that's really, really helpful. And I'm just going to pause you there to kind of reiterate for everybody, um, because that's a little bit different than I think a lot of people approach things. So for each job, you're saying you should have that su- kind of summary sentence first and then do your bullet points. Yes. And I think a lot of people kind of just skip to the to the bullet points. But I think you're kind of encapsulating everything in that summary sentence. And then it's like, look to these bullet points if you want more details. And then you say for your most recent job, you should have three. And for the previous jobs, you should have two. Exactly. Then they should be, the the bullets should have actual hard facts in them. Mm -hmm. And numbers, right? Numbers, Mm -hmm. metrics. Yep. Exactly. So that shows what you accomplished in each job. And then step five, add other sections, education and skills. Now, the interesting thing about the education section is that the ATS doesn't like abbreviations, doesn't read, doesn't understand abbreviations. So don't put MBA, receive an MBA, or don't put I'm a CFA. Always spell out the credentials. So when you say ATS, you're saying applicant tracking system. So when a person does not read your resume, when a computer reads your resume, it's looking for those keywords, right? Yes, you, you have to spell it out if you want the <laughs> robot to <laughs> understand <laughs> what it is. And so that was step five, add your education and skills. And step six is add keywords. It's interesting that in the survey, most people thought keywords are the most important part of a resume. I mean, I can understand how they would feel that way because keywords are what make, are in part what makes your resume align with the job. You know, you're going to pull out the keywords in the job description. And if some phrases or capability is repeated more than once in a job description, chances are they really want to see it in your resume. But the thing about keywords is they're not as important as the ideas we've just talked about. We talked about having a message in your summary statement, having a message in each job, uh, having sub-messages in the bullets. So it's all about messaging. It's not just about keywords, but the keywords should be laced into your resume very delicately. In other words, you don't want the keywords to change or encumber the sentence structure because interestingly enough, the robot does not like complicated sentences, does not like sentences with subordinate clauses, Mm. with any clauses really. It likes simple, clear subject verb sentences. So I, I would recommend to you, once you put the keywords in your resume, read the resume out loud. And see if it sounds like conversation. If it sounds like conversation, then the robot's going to like it. If it sounds encumbered, like you can't get through a sentence without having to take a breath, then you know it. the sentences are too long and probably the keywords are encumbering those sentences. So don't just stuff them into your resume, but put them in without changing the sentence structure. And you mentioned uh, our poll, our LinkedIn poll that we did, which was uh, we asked what the most important element of a resume is. You're right. Key, keywords got, came in first at 42 percent. Strong bullet points uh, was next at 30 percent. Compelling summary statement was only 21 percent. And then the other education awards skills was was very low. But it sounds like what you're saying. And my guess is that why so many people said keywords is because they think oh, you're writing for a robot. You're writing for these applicant tracking systems that just kind of scan for the keywords. But to hear what you're saying sounds like to write for the robot is actually to write for the person too, to make it 
very clear, shorter sentences that, you know, that are not too jargon filled. And so the right keywords are important, but probably writing clearly and conversationally is even more important and more important for both the the robots and the humans, it sounds like, right? Yeah, that's right. You have to fold the keywords in, in such a way without uh, that you don't complicate the sentence patterns. That's, that's why I suggest reading a, the resume out loud, just to make sure it sounds conversational, that it's fluid, that it's not encumbered. Yeah, that's kind of a great tip for all writing, right? Is is read it out loud and see how it actually, because I think, you know, we get in our heads when we write and like, oh, this is great. And then you read it out loud, you're like, this is actually a horrible sentence that makes no sense. All right, so let's move on from resumes. I know we could keep talking about it, but um, let's talk about cover letters now. Now, I am a big believer in cover letters, and I know that you are too. A lot of people are not. And uh, there's been a lot of talk recently, especially about outsourcing cover letter writing to AI. You have feelings about it, I can tell. First, can you talk about why you think cover letters are important and why you think job seekers should write one even when it's not required? Well, I do think they're very important. And I think that we have to go into a search with the assumption that somebody's going to be there at the other end of your communication. You know, if you if you don't think anybody's going to read a cover letter, then why even bother to apply? So I think that you have to believe that there's somebody in that company that you're applying to who will be reading your letter. And so it creates a much more positive attitude to feel that way than to really say, I'm not going to write a cover letter because nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to reply. They're going to ghost me. It's true. It does happen a lot, but it doesn't happen every time. So you're writing to people because you believe there's a relationship to be had and you want that relationship. And it gives you the opportunity as well to show your communication skills. I mean, most jobs do require good communication skills. So the cover letter is another example of your communication skills. It allows you also to show that you understand the hiring company and the job. You can't do that in the resume, so you have to do it in the cover letter. People want to know that you understand the job and want to work in that company. The cover letter can make a strong connection between what you bring and what the job requires. And so finally, the cover letter gives you your application a personal touch. Again, you have to assume that somebody's going to read it. In fact, according to statistics I have in my book, 90% of executives consider cover letters valuable and 83% of recruiters and hiring managers consider cover letters important. If that's the case, then somebody's going to read your letter. Maybe not everyone, but some of the letters that you write will be read. It's so important. I agree. And I, you know, I always say from, from my experience in being a hiring manager, I always read the cover letter. It's the it's the part, you know, for all of the reasons that you outlined, it's the part to, that you kind of get more context for the person and understand them in a way. A well-written resume maybe isn't just a list of accomplishments, but in a lot of ways, a resume is just a list of, you know, what you did at a job. And so a cover letter gives you that that opportunity, as you said, to show your communication skills, especially in my field. I can see if you're a good writer or not. Um <laughs> 
I can understand, as you said, you, you have a little understanding of what our company does, of, of what our mission is. You can kind of showcase yourself. It's kind of like the pre-interview almost. It's like giving you the opportunity to explain yourself and give yourself more of a, a show more of your personality before you actually get that interview and hopefully kind of push you over the edge to, to get that interview. Um, but people don't like them. <laughs> we did a poll on cover letters and I, we asked, uh, how do you approach cover letters? And But luckily in our poll, uh, gratifyingly, 49%, most of people said that they personalize each one, which is great. 14% of people said they use AI or they use a, a template. 35% of people said they don't write one. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the cover letter. You never know, as you said, uh, you got to hope that somebody's reading it. You don't know if somebody's not reading it. But if somebody reads it and it's like a crappy thing that you like copied from a template that says, dear sir, or madam, and like whatever, like you've just made a really bad impression. So please, hopefully we have converted all of the naysayers and now they're going to write cover letters. But yeah, let's walk through kind of what a cover letter should should look like. We kind of made the case for them, right? So uh, this is another place that your higher template comes in. What are the steps for a, a cover letter? Yeah, really, I think of the cover letter in the same four sections that I talked about when I introduced the concept of hire. H-I-R-E, step one, the first sentence, craft your opening line. The opening line of a cover letter should explain what you are applying for and your interest or excitement in the job. So it's really builds that connection or the hook with the uh, hiring company. And so a good opening line would be something like this. I'm applying for the position of manager of data systems, and I'm excited about the prospect of working for your company or working for a company that's a leader in its field, or, you know, you could elaborate it any way you want, but basically a simple sentence like that, talking about your excitement and enthusiasm and passion for this particular position you're applying for. That's the opening, the H or the hook. Then I, you want an inspiring message. So you might write, I believe my experience in three successive IT roles would equip me to deliver a strong performance in this role. So it's something about how your experience, how your background will enable you to be fulfilling in this role, how your background is so suited to this role that they've advertised. It has to be a strong, clear, simple, declarative sentence. Step three, give the reasons. So these are reasons that reinforce your inspiring message. Give the reasons you feel ready for this role. You might then talk about your previous job or your present job, what it's allowed you to achieve in line with the job you're applying for. And then talk about maybe your past two jobs before that, what you were able to achieve in that. So really talk about your achievements that reinforce your message. Step four, Conclude with a call to action or engagement. It would be something like this. I look forward to the prospect of meeting you virtually or in person to discuss this exciting role. That's really the format for a great cover letter. Four parts. Hook, or the connection with the audience, the message, the reinforcing points, and then the call to action, next steps. It's a simple format, but it works wonders. And what I just read to you was engaging, inspiring. If I were a hiring manager, it would make me feel that 
that individual had a right to an interview. I have to tell you, when I was the head of a company, I built a company over 35 years, the Humphrey Group, and I had a lot of people come in for jobs. But if they talked too much about themselves and didn't talk about the role or the job, I wouldn't hire them. They had to show me in that covering letter and in the, in the interview how what they had done, what they achieved, and what they wanted aligned with the job itself. It was fascinating. But you can do that in this four-part structure that I just gave you an example of. That's a good kind of reminder to people because I, I think you're right. A lot of people are like, I'm selling myself. But you also have to kind of sell the fact that you understand and have bothered to do the research and, and understand the job and the company and, and how you and the company fit together rather than just like, here's why I'm great. Hire me. Exactly. So we've talked about some of the, the critical things, the resume, the cover letter uh, that hopefully get you the interview. So now let's talk about the interview and how to make a good impression in an interview. Again, this topic is so big, but let's just kind of address the kind of biggest question that people have with interviews, which is how to answer the most common interview questions. So we're going to do a little bit rapid fire-ish on this one. I'm going to give you a common interview question and you're going to tell me your advice on how to answer it. Okay. All right. Okay, so first one, tell me about yourself. Ah, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's a grabber. I'd love to. would be a wonderful hook. But I want to just put this in context and say, answers don't come to you on the spot. <laughs> answers won't come to you when you're in that interview. Mm. What, what you really want to do to be effective in these interviews is prepare your answers in advance. And so this would be one question you'd want to prepare an answer to in advance. But write out your answers in advance. Learn them. Not necessarily memorize them verbatim, but study them, learn them, have them in your head as a structure of thought. And so when you're in the interview, um, there's enough to make you nervous in an interview without having to think of these questions or answers on the spot. So be sure and prepare your answers to questions as you prepare an interview script. The techniques for doing that are in the book, in my book, but I can't emphasize enough the fact that preparation is key, even for questions you may not get. Make a list of all the questions you think you might get, including the, these most common ones, and then create answers and then learn those answers. And so you'll come across as much more confident, much more persuasive than as though you had to think on the spot. People will hear, tell me about yourself, and they're like, well, I don't need to prepare my answer yeah. to tell you about myself. I already know about myself. But this one's hard. People get tripped up on this one because it's so broad and open-ended. Yeah. You do not, they do not want your life story. They do not want, I was born in yeah. Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah. That is the challenge of that question. It's so open-ended. Tell me about yourself. So if you think in advance about how to answer that, what you really want to do is you want to tell them a story a story that resonates with them because it shows you as the ideal candidate for that job. So, for example, in my book, in the Job Seeker script, I interview someone who got a job in a male-dominated capital markets banking group. And the story she told when she was asked, tell me about yourself, she told the story of how she was a competitive hockey player and she competed both with women and with men. And she talked about that and what pleasure it gave her. And that story sold them on her because they realized she could work with the strong male 
uh, figures in the capital markets group. So that was a very appropriate story. You want your story to be appropriate. You know, if you're applying for an HR job, you might say, the one thing I can say about myself is I love working with people. I love developing programs for people. And, you know, you could go into that story a little bit farther. So think of a story that positions you as the ideal candidate for that job. Oh, that's such a great way to think about it. So instead of thinking like, tell me about yourself, like tell me a biography about yourself, it's really like, tell me the thing about yourself that makes you qualified for this job, the story about yourself, the, the, you know, the, the qualities that you have that make you qualified for this job. That's, that's a great kind of reframing way to look at it. I think it will be really helpful to people because I think they are kind of, people hear that question and they're like, okay, you want a shortened version of my resume, I guess. Yeah. All right. Here's, here's the next common interview question. What's your biggest weakness? Yeah, that's a common one. And that's a bit of a trick question because you don't really want to give them a weakness that would hurt you in that role. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have two choices. You can talk about a weakness that you're working on or a weakness that is a strength. So for example, a weakness you're working on, let's say you're my, you say you're a micromanager, but you're applying for a management job. You could say, I have been known to be too close to the details. Perhaps I, I have been a micromanager, but I've taken a program in management. I'm in, in the process of learning how to work with people, manage people, and give them freedom to develop their own skills. So I'm on my way to being a great manager. So that would be one where you talk about a weakness, but you're actually saying you've, you're overcoming it. Weakness that is a strength. Well, in some jobs, a strength might be, again, a detail, I'm, I'm detail-oriented. But, you know, that is, then you go on to say, but that has helped me in my career. And then you give some examples of how being a, an art director or a creative has really um, made you more successful because you are detailed, because you care about results, because you look at every aspect of the design or the campaign. You know, you're thorough. So it can be a strength. And so you have to decide what weakness you want to talk about and do this in advance, of course, mm -hmm. and then develop your answer so that you have a good, strong answer. That's great. I think that especially that the weakness that you're working on, I think, can really help uh, a hiring manager see that you you know, have self-awareness and that you take feedback and that you're willing to change and willing to work on things and that you're honest, too. I mean, I think saying, you know, I've gotten feedback from my direct reports that I micromanage too much. And, you know, so I've taken that feedback and I'm working on it in this way, you know, really does kind of that same thing. Like you were saying, it does turn your weakness into into a strength. Exactly. These so, answers take a lot of thought, don't they? Yeah. Believe me. Yeah. Doing it in the in the moment. What's your biggest biggest weakness? I'm a perfectionist. I work. I'm a workaholic. Like you know, some kind of BS <laughs> answer. Like or or even worse. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So one last one of a common interview question that really trips people up. Where do you see yourself in five years? Mm. That is a common question and. What you don't want to say to the interviewer is, I would like to have your job in five years. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody who told me that a candidate gave her that answer. 
and she immediately ruled them out because nobody wants to think you're going to take their job away from them. And it's a very presumptuous attitude to have. Yeah. I think the best way to answer that question is to show a certain amount of loyalty to the company and say, one of the things I really like about your company is the many opportunities there appear to be for promotion. I could see myself in moving forward in this department, or I could see myself moving into another department where I could use the same skills that I have here. So you can talk about the variety of opportunities in that company, and you're excited about that. And that makes them feel really good that you not only want the job at hand, but that you're going to stay with them for a while because retention is such a big issue for companies these days. Yeah. And I, you know, and I will say, you know, that just makes me think of um, an interview with somebody on the Fast Company staff uh, who's still currently working with us, I think, who, when I interviewed them a couple of years ago, had done, and this just really impressed me, had done research about me. I was, I was like, oh, you've, you know, and which really like you looked at LinkedIn, but she said, you know, I've noticed you've been at Fast Company for a long time and you've held a bunch of different positions. Like, can you, this was in the, the part of the interview that's like, do you have any questions for me? You know, like how, how did that work? How did, you know, what, what does promotion within the company look like? What do, you know, is there availability to work in different departments to create different, you know, sort of things? I think kind of understanding uh, what promotion looks like within the company is, you know, really helpful too. Yeah, that's impressive when somebody uh, has that background on you. And, you know, I have a whole chapter in the book that talks about research. Research the company, research the culture, research the person who's interviewing you, Mm. research the job. Again, it takes more than 15 minutes to produce that kind of research. So commit fully to the job that you're applying for. And it goes back to focusing. Yeah. And it, and I mean, it really makes, you know, here, how many years ago was that? And I, I remember being asked that question. I'm always, it makes a really big impression that you've, you know, done your homework on the, the job that you're applying for. It really shows that you actually, you know, want that job. So we've, we've talked about the prep you should do before your job hunt. We've talked about the resume. We've talked about the cover letter. We've talked a little bit about the interview. There's one more element that a lot of people forget Uh, This is another, people are in the pro or con camp, uh, much like the cover letter, but I think both you and I are uh, firmly in the pro camp on the thank you note. Uh, As a hiring manager, I will say that it always makes a good impression when a candidate sends a thank you note. Um, I'm personally a little ambivalent about it being on a written mailed card versus an email, but can you talk about why you think cover or why you think uh, thank you notes are important? And then second, what exactly should you say in your thank you note? Well, thank you notes are very important. And you have to assume that they'll be important to the person you're sending it to. Everybody wants to be thanked, you know, whether you're a networking contact with your hiring manager or recruiter or just somebody giving advice. I mean, for example... I was asked by a young man, a young entrepreneur, to to give him some advice on how to start a company, how to build it, actually. He's already started it. So we went for a drink. We spent an hour. I gave him advice on how to do his elevator pitch because he's looking for investors. I said to him I would be happy to listen to his pitch once he'd written it. And, you know, it was a great moment. Uh, where I felt I was able to pass on some of my knowledge to him, to a younger person. And I never heard back from him, never got a thank you. It would have been so simple 
to write a thank you note to me, saying thanks so much. It was a great conversation. I'm inspired by what you taught me. I look forward to next steps. I'd love to show you my pitch. That's all. It would have made a world of difference to me. So I know from personal experience that when people write to me and thank me, I feel really great about having spent time with them. And I think anybody feels that way, whether you're a recruiter, a hiring manager, a networking contact, you want that feedback. You want that appreciation. I mean, that's a great point in that nobody's ever going to be annoyed or mad to get a thank you note. You know, it's not going to be the thing necessarily that gets you the job if you, you know, aren't the strongest candidate, but it does nothing but good for you. It does nothing but make a good impression. Exactly. And again, you have to assume that a human being is going to be there to read it. After all, the person has interviewed you or met with you. So you have to assume that they're going to see your email. And as for email versus handwritten, I don't think it makes a huge bit of difference. Handwritten is very gracious. And I always remember people who've written handwritten notes to me. But I don't discount the emails. I think they're equally valuable. So it's really, really important. I can't emphasize this enough. And even if you, let's say you've had an interview, you want to say thank them for the interview. You want to continue the discussion and the thank you note is the opportunity to show them you're continuing the discussion. You're looking forward to next steps. So what should go in that thank you note? I think if people are like, what do I say beyond thanks for the interview. It was nice to, to meet with you. You said this is another spot where you can use that higher template, yeah. that hook, inspire, engage, reinforce. How do you do that in a thank you note? Yeah, so you start off with a statement of appreciation. Thanks so much for meeting with me. That's the hook. Then you move to your message. In your message, you talked about how you might talk about how you love the discussion, you feel ever more excited about working for that company. Some strong statement of belief and don't say I feel or I thought, say I believe, I know, I'm confident. So you use strong verbs in your message sentence. And then you reinforce, so the R, reinforce the message with a few proof points. So if you say, I feel ever more excited about working for your company, then give two or three reasons why you feel excited about this opportunity that you've been discussing. Then you end with a call to action what you'd like to see as the next steps. Because you, you never want to be in the dark about what next steps are. You want to, at the end of a conversation, you want to ask what next steps are. And then in the letter that you write, the thank you note, you want to restate what you understand is the next, are the next steps. So that's the complete letter. It's the higher template. Mm. Hook, inspire, reinforce, and engage. That's helpful. And that's a real like, you know, simple, don't ramble. Here are the, the, the points you want to hit. I will say some of the most memorable thank you notes that I've gotten similarly kind of showed that the candidate was super engaged in what we talked about and in our company and the role. You know, I've had people in thank you notes follow up with, you know, we had talked about uh, you know, you know, your coverage of the future of work. And after we talked, I couldn't, you know, I was thinking about some article ideas and, you know, I thought about this one or, oh, we talked about um, some books. And, you know, by the way, here are the, the books that I had mentioned again or something like that, something kind of like personal that brings it back. That's like, oh, you're actually really thoughtfully thinking about this role. Yeah, this is not a generic letter. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Dear sir or madam, <laughs> thank you for speaking to me. Um, so I just want to remind everybody that if you have a question, I know there's some raised hands. If you have a question, uh, please drop it in the chat. We did get one about, uh, Judith, do you have any advice for recent graduates without much experience and how they should approach the job hunt process? For recent graduates? I mean, obviously you have less work experience than some other candidates might. But what you want to do is go back into your history, your academic years, or even before that, and think about the leadership roles that you've played. Did you play a leadership role at school, in the university? Did you take on a role that allowed you to lead? Or you can talk about the coursework you had, where your specialization is. It doesn't matter whether you're a recent graduate or a, into your third or fourth job. It's all about arguing a case for yourself. And it's about having a strong thesis or summary statement, having proof points, reasons why your statement is true. And, you know, it's having the confidence to say, whatever age you are, you're ready. You're ready for the workforce. You've got a clarity about what you would bring and you're applying for the right jobs, not just randomly for 100 or 200 or 300 <laughs> jobs, but you're applying for specific jobs that align with your credentials. And that's the point you want to make in your letters, in your resume. Well, not you can't really do it in the resume, but in your letters or your correspondence of any kind or any, any of your interviews. Show the alignment between what you bring and what the job is requesting of you. I mean, it's kind of the same advice, right? It's be really... Uh focused on the the actual job and and make your skills and your experience correlate to that job and why you why you're the best person for that job and it doesn't matter if you got those skills as you said from four decades of experience or from four years of college you pull out where you got those skills from and why you yeah. why you're the best person for this job yeah exactly um, we will wrap it up here. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And thank you, Judith, for being our, our first official non-Fast Company staff uh, <laughs> person on a LinkedIn audio. You, you did fantastic. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation, Kate. Thanks so much for inviting me. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Work is changing every day. What's the most pressing issue on your mind? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag The New Way We Work. The New Way We Work was produced by Joshua Christensen and Julia Shu with editing by Nicholas Torres. 